everybody and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. This is our Pitch Fest 2022 series, the very last episode of the series and we couldn't be more excited. My name's Amelia, I'll be one of your co-hosts for today and as always I'm joined by the myth, the man, the legend, Tim Silverwood. Tim, we couldn't finish on a bigger, better note, could we, for the Pitch Fest 2022 series? No, we couldn't. And, you know, there could be a tear in the corner of my eye, but there could also be a very large smile on my face because what a way to end. It is, of course, our Pitchfest 2022 winner, Nobo, and the super inspiring Benjamin Stern. That is it. Yeah. He was there in person, live to accept the award. And wow, what a great interview. I mean, Ben, Benjamin is, is so, what does he prefer to go by, Tim? Is it Ben or Benjamin? I think he prefers either, but uh, yeah, what a dude. Loved it. <laughs> he's so good at explaining what they do, how, uh, why they do it, how he's found the startup journey, um, and also had such lovely things to say about Pitchfest and Innovation, um, our big showcase event. So I think whether you're an oceanpreneur yourself or perhaps just an ocean lover who enjoys learning about innovation in this space, you're going to love this episode. Yeah, and honestly, just... You're going to be going, all right, I'm going to see more of this guy in the future. I mean, you don't start a business and be as successful as you are at this age unless you got something special. And I reckon Ben's got something special. He certainly does. I mean, he was 14 when he, that's right, 1-4, when he had his aha moment. You know, seeing his mum do the laundry and he realised that, you know, beauty and personal care products could be put into water-soluble pods because his mum was using one doing the laundry. And, you know, in 2016, at 16 years old, he pitched Nobo on Shark Tank uh, and secured a deal with Mark Cuban. Crazy stuff doing this as a high school student, Tim. I know, really. And, quite you know, quite emotional there too because he was, uh, he was actually on Shark Tank and doing the demonstration with his grandmother, showing the use of the product. And um, his grandmother has unfortunately since passed away, but hugely influential in his life as is his mother. Yeah, he got a $100,000 deal with Mark Cuban then and there. And he's been one of his in- most incredible mentors and people in his corner as he's then gone through the immense trials and tribulations in turning a good idea into a very significant scale company and one that is projected to grow very fast into the future. Yeah, and I mean, when we talk about that kind of the projections of growth there, you know, what I found really interesting is that rather than creating their own line of beauty and personal care product lines, they try to and want to work with existing brands to turn their products into these various formats that Nobo produces. And with this model, you know, it feels like Nobo's impact into the future could be incredible, Tim, like much bigger than if they were trying to do, you know, do it all themselves. That's it. That's how you disrupt the game. Uh, He's recognised the absurdity of just how much, essentially at the end of the day, when we're shipping anything that's a liquid around our planet being used in your bathroom or your laundry or your kitchen or everywhere, you're paying to transport water that doesn't need to be transported. So you're wasting money. You're putting a huge carbon footprint on every single thing. So the solution there is, well, how could I create a concentrated 
pod or some sort of little module that can simply then pop into some water which comes out of the faucet uh, all around our beautiful planet ocean and therefore you take out huge amounts of cost and huge amounts of wastage and huge amounts of carbon footprint so yeah that is how he's going to disrupt the game through these products like you know he's got drops hydrofill slips he's been in the in the game of actually using laundry slips which i've actually started using in my home amelia and i am blown away at how effective laundry slips are a little dissolvable piece of paper that you pop into your laundry and voila beautiful clean clothes not a not a ounce of plastic inside you've got to love that i mean actually using solutions like this i know for the team at oio is the thing that always makes us like early adopters yeah pretty amazing stuff fascinating stuff and i think you know ben and the whole team at nobo um, are doing such innovative things and we just love to see it at oio it's what makes us get really excited to support. So thank you for tuning in to our Pitch Fest 2022 series. Tim, I can't believe it's come to an end. Very sad it's come to an end, but you know what the great thing is? Just around the corner will be a Pitch Fest 2023 series and we don't know who those startups are yet. So if you're loving the podcast, you're loving these inspiring stories of amazing oceanpreneurs, make sure you tell anyone out there who is an oceanpreneur to get involved with PitchFest because they might be the ones beaming into your ear canals next year. Love it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Well, I'm absolutely ecstatic to have on the Ocean Impact Podcast PitchFest 2022 series, the winner of the Ocean Impact PitchFest 2022, Ben Stern, founder of Nobo. How are you, Ben? Doing well. How's it going, Tim? Really, really well. We were just talking about where you are today. You're in a a special part of the US in Melbourne, Florida. And you were just telling us a little bit about how it's a tech central area with loads of engineers because of the space program. Absolutely. Funny enough, back in the 1960s, they built NASA right here. So we see launches day and night, practically every week they're happening. Funny enough, Elon Musk was actually at a Five Guys five minutes away from my office. Five Guys is like an American burger restaurant. And uh, and uh, I had no idea who was in town or close by, but a friend of mine, his mother was there and met with him. And I got so upset. I'm like, why didn't you message me? Is he a bit of an, a bit of an idol or yours? Or you just thought it'd be fun to, to gawk at one of the most famous men in the world? I think the latter is true. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to be having this conversation. Obviously, anytime I get to speak to finalists from the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest is a, is a big day. But of course, you, you took home the, the, the top prize. A pretty proud moment. Yeah, tell us about what that experience was like for you. Oh my God, it was incredible. I was fresh off the plane, so to speak. I think I missed my flight the day before and um, I landed in Sydney my first time in Oceania. And um, it was just this very surreal experience. First off, meeting so many incredible entrepreneurs tackling uh, these problems that are facing the planet so abruptly and these novel ways that these entrepreneurs are solving these problems was just so inspiring to see i met so many incredible people from investors to um to advocates to um, problem solvers in this space um, i was extremely humbled extremely surprised and very grateful to be awarded the ocean impact uh, grand finalist and bring that home to my team uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for, for making the effort. And we're glad it was worth your while meeting a bunch of great people. Yeah, you mentioned their problem solvers. Obviously, the, the judges thought the way you were solving a major problem was worthy of the top prize. So 
let's go there. Let's talk a little bit about the solution you've developed and the problem that you're trying to address, if you wouldn't mind. Of course, of course. I can give some context on my company. It really starts with the genesis. Well, the genesis of it all starts from my upbringing. I'm from a place called Seattle, Washington. Grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And growing up, we were always taught to reduce, reuse, recycle over and over and over again. And that never really sat well with me. I always felt that the most efficacious products, the most impactful products people can use, touch, interact with, would disappear when you were finished with it, like food. Years later, I was in this biology class freshman year of high school, and they put on this really fascinating documentary covering the ins and outs of the plastic bottling industry. And man, I just remember being so distraught seeing all the plastic flooding into the oceans, just killing marine life. Like I, it struck a chord. I went home, I saw my mother using a laundry detergent pod, and I thought it was the most genius idea in the world. Like I couldn't grasp, I couldn't believe how science has enabled us to encapsulate liquids in films engineered to dissolve with water. Stepped foot in our bathroom and noticed all these bottles just surrounding the bath basin. And I had this epiphany. What if we could encapsulate and pod beauty and personal care products in films designed to disappear with water? And so sooner or later, uh, Nobo was formed. <laughs> and tell us exactly what Nobo means. I was, uh, you know, I thought it might be some sort of crazy technical term, some chemistry term, but uh, no, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I well, for one, I was fourteen and I thought it thought it sounded startupy, but um, Nobo is an acronym for no hair bottles, so just like a compressed word. So that really yeah. is so amazing. So when you realized that these laundry pods were water dissolvable, water soluble, you must have just been thinking, well, why aren't they using these across the board? And so you've stepped in and created that opportunity for such a diverse range of products. Why is that? Why do you think they they haven't been more widely adopted? Sure. Well, in the U.S., Procter & Gamble launched Tide Pods in 2012. By 2015, they comprised 15% of the U.S. market for all laundry detergent applications. So it's been a truly extremely sticky form factor. Bear in mind, pods typically cost two to three times as much as their liquid bottled products. Candidly, I think CPGs are horrible at innovating. They take forever to create new products. They like to buy things. It's very clear consumer trends are going in the direction of sustainability, um, reducing their plastic consumption. People care about the planet they're on. I think it takes startups with real drive focused on solving a singular problem to, to crack this nut. And I think that's what everyone was waiting around for, for someone to obsessively focus around this one issue of creating pods that eliminate single-use plastic in new verticals. And um, we have attracted the, the large Fortune 500 CPGs just because of that. This is what we eat, live, breathe, single-use pods. Amazing. So on the one hand, frustrating that they don't do the innovation themselves, but also a fantastic opportunity when people like yourself step in and do the innovating for them and then sell it back to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's our model. We don't create single-use brands. What we do is if you have a brand or if you have a hotel, we work with you to convert your existing product to a potted format. For instance, there's a popular brand in the U.S. called Public Goods, and we converted their products. This is all public. We converted all their products to a potted format and just ran it. Um, We feel we can make more impact working with 
brands that want to change their existing products than investing so heavily in creating a single shampoo line, a single conditioner line. Um, it's more democratic, our model that way. Awesome. Can you tell us anything about the actual material that you're using that is water-soluble? I don't know how much protection you, you want to kind of keep over this. What can you tell us about the material and, and how it works so effectively? Sure. We filed a, um, a patent on a um, naturally derived film made from um, like bagasse, microbial ferments, and cellulose. Uh, it dissolves. It breaks down faster than a banana fully biodegradable. The material is pretty incredible. I'll describe how it works on a high level. It's like a fishnet. Water is a universal solvent, so it will go in and melt things. It'll dissolve things naturally. But the the water-soluble film works as a fishnet for everything inside where everything is molecularly so big where it's entrapped in this film and it can't escape. Once water comes in, it dissolves the film, it activates the things that make your shampoo unique, surfactants, emollients, conditioning agents, fragrances, and you get a nice voluminous, thick, finished product. And how did you get to that? Obviously, you were you know, inspired by the Tide Pods. I, I saw some of your earlier prototypes. They certainly weren't like they were now. Was it really about finding a fantastic group of chemists to help you solve these problems? Absolutely. I think strong R&D, structured R&D was essential to helping us solve this. There were multiple challenges when creating a water-soluble pod. First and foremost, you have a water-soluble film and a base, and we had to observe so many interactions because if you change the water-soluble film or you change the base, you're creating a million extrapolated reactions. So um, structured R&D was essential, building like a world-class team. We have scientists that come in every day loving what they do, entrenched in learning more. I think that was very important. And going into this, knowing a lot of this was blue sky research that no one has really ventured into the world of personal care water soluble pods. Everyone was ambitious enough and uh, in, a, in a good sense, like ignorant enough. We didn't know the challenges that we were about to face where we could approach solving this problem with new fresh ideas that, that haven't really been explored. And I think that gave us an edge. Very cool. Yeah, let's, let's go into that little, um, the journey and obviously all those challenges and trials and tribulations a little bit. So you mentioned before that you were 14 when you had the epiphany, the aha moment. Take us forward from there. Give us a kind of quick little snapshot of your, you know, you're a young, young human, but you've done a lot in the last sort of six or seven years. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened from 14 through to kind of present day in a bit of a short, concise approach? Sure. After I thought of Nobo, I quickly reached out to a bunch of CPGs and hotels. I had like a million typos in my emails. If I look back, I'm like, oh God, what did I say? But I got positive feedback from a lot of CEOs and VPs of ops at these large companies asking if I had IP around this, asking if I was open to a licensing agreement. Like that instantly validated the idea for me. So um, I took the next steps. I got a job at a sub shop and a grocery store, like pushing carts, trying just to save up enough money to create an initial prototype of the product. And uh, with that prototype, it was, um, I don't know if I can say this, it was a really shitty prototype. (laughs) You can bleep that out. But um, I pitched it to Shark Tank, an American TV show where entrepreneurs go on to, to pitch new ideas and try and secure investments. I went on in 2016 and got three offers from the Sharks. 
I closed with one of them named Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban is still an active investor, very involved in the company still. So I, he's been a godsend for, for me and a, a very large, a very good mentor of mine. After Shark Tank, there was this windfall of interest from CPGs and hotels looking to adopt this format inspired by the vision of a single-use dissolvable product for personal care. So they reached out in March of 2020. Two things happened, um, COVID and we closed our seed round. <laughs> so one bad, one good. And uh, after closing that round, I built out the team. We built out a factory in Florida. We became a certified B Corp. We have a 12,000 square foot space in Florida where we make, manufacture, produce all our own products. And um, what else? What else? We have a we have a really cool team working together on a bunch of different projects. Wow, what a journey. Um, yeah, so so proud of you and the team and, and what you've been able to do in, in such a short time and you know, with things like COVID landing on your lap and having to deal with that, it's really, really, really impressive. Um, yeah, that Shark Tank story is great. And I encourage people to go and, and watch your session on Shark Tank because you're there as a 16-year-old, you're your grandmother. You say it's your first time pitching, but you were an absolute natural in that <laughs> setting. You must have been nervous, but it didn't show. Yeah, no, I, I was sweating my balls off. Like, I was so nervous going into the show. It was a surreal experience. First time pitching the company. And um, you'd only really have one shot. Like, if you mess it up, the producers, uh, they, they won't put you on the show. So I was very, very anxious. But it was a comfortable experience, honestly. Once you say those first few words, everything just flows. Like, the rest just flows. And I've sort of adopted that mentality and philosophy in any pitch I do. Like, I like to be very authentic and real when I speak to people. And I think um, that all stemmed from Shark Tank. I remember the first few lines and then... The rest just flew. Yeah, and I suppose having your your late grandmother there would have been a nice thing too. But I was just particularly impressed with the you know the way you closed the deal. Like you said, you had multiple offers, and you got a a window right there where you got to make a decision, and you just seemed to do it with great conviction. Maybe that was the editing. I don't know, but it looked really uh, really tight. Yeah. I think I went on the show expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was like, I, I couldn't imagine a world in which I didn't get a deal. Like it just didn't cross my mind. And then the first few people or first couple of sharks, they just went off, like they, they backed out. And I was in awe. I'm like, what? How, how is this even possible? I never got rejected on the company before. So I, I it struck me in a weird way. And then once Mark came in, he instantly and like we connected like I felt there's this connection and it was the right thing to do to move forward with him so great okay so fast forward to 2023 um yeah tell us about your product lines now um and I'd love to get a bit of a glimpse of you know your capacity how many you can produce and how many you are producing if you wouldn't mind yeah yeah so we have three core technologies first and foremost are drops they are single-use dissolvable pods. They're really good for hotels where they just melt in the palm of your hands and um, they dissolve. They form shampoos, conditioners, body washes. They're great for at home, on the go. Our second lineup is slips. They are single-use sheets of film. They form hand soap or face wash. Uh, You just add water to them and they melt away. I think I was inspired by the slips because I was staying at a hotel one time and I realized that no one ever finishes a full bar of soap that they gave you. So I was talking to the general manager and slips uh, blossom from that idea. And the third is really exciting. We just launched it two months ago. It's called a hydrofill, 
with a hydrofill, users buy a bottle once and one time only. I'm holding up a bottle of like a silicon base and they buy a hydrofill and they place one hydrofill in the bottle, add six or seven ounces of water, shake it up for 30 seconds, and it forms a viscous shampoo, a creamy conditioner, a gel-like body wash. So users are no longer, for one, shipping water across the country, across the world. You're no longer using single-use plastics. There's all sorts of benefits, and it's super adoptable, where if you love like a Pantene shampoo, a Kevin Murphy shampoo, a Suave shampoo, you can adopt it in the hydrofill format. We can today produce, in terms of just drops, around 195 million units annually. We don't reveal exactly how much we're producing, but we um, produce a decent amount every month. And some of those other technologies, what sort of quantities are you capable of on those? Yeah, the drops 195 million, the slips 120 million soap slips, hydrofills, um, we're scaling up the technology, so we're investing in molds. I, I hope it's around 50 million units. It's a little bit less than the other ones because there's such a big cavity, but we're we're going to wait and see. And so with hydrofill, I mean, um, is the sort of nexus of that because so many of those CPGs are, you know, huge potential for you? If, and then obviously they're all looking at ways to minimize their own plastic footprint and and gain more social license is that where you're really looking at the opportunity that you can get those popular brands to change the way that they do packaging and 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 subscription services potentially yeah yeah exactly i think there's a lot of um brands out there that have initiatives to switch to uh, to reduce their single-use plastic consumption i don't think pcr is a good answer or the only answer Um, post-consumer recycled plastic. I don't think there is a great answer that fills in all the voids, but I think hydrofills come very close. When you're telling a consumer that you're giving them a product and it's made from a bunch of plastic, virgin or otherwise, and the product they're using is comprised of up to 90% water, and that's creating countless carbon emissions, and that plastic breaks down into microplastics, has all sorts of destructive attributes. Hydrofills are just a clear answer. Right now, consumers don't have optionality. Um, 70% of consumers, from a Mintel's report, 70% of consumers are willing to pay more for a sustainable single-use solution. They just don't have options. (laughs) So that's where we come in. We want to create a one-for-one product for those existing brands that are eager and inspired to switch to new formats. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, Okay, so we did talk a little bit, there's a section here on our questions about, you know, your personal why, but I feel like you did a bunch of that talking about growing up and being in the Pacific Northwest and your attachment to nature. Is there anything there about your sort of personal why that you want to touch on or should we move on to key achievements and key challenges that you've faced, which you've also spoken to quite a bit so far in the episode. Personal why, I think hopefully it's coming clear. It's a passion project for me. I started as a passion project. I continue as a passion project. But there's, there's like this intellectual curiosity of running a startup, how your decisions and actions will cause rippling effects. And I, I find that so um, so engaging, so exciting, because we're faced with so many decisions every day and we have to move quick. Like we can't lose sight that we are a startup and we need to make rapid decisions that set the tone for how we grow. And I love that. I love to be a part of it. I find it so intellectually stimulating. So that's why. I love it. What's it like 
you know, leading a team. I mean, you've been at this for a few years now. You're still a young, um, young human being. So, it, what's the culture like in the organization? I, I just imagine that it must have this very youthful and therefore quite contemporary approach. But yeah, tell us a little bit about what it's like being a young leader. I suppose of a, a very uh, quickly growing company. Yeah, it's it's definitely weird. <laughs> like it's to ask people to do stuff to boss them around. I feel like I'm such a I, I have so much fun doing my own contributions for the company, doing my own like hard work, writing. I, I have a trouble delegating and that's to my own detriment. So when I started off growing the team, I think it was a very uh, very different experience that candidly I've struggled with quite a bit. The team is amazing. The culture, it's very um, collegiate. There's this energy in the air when you walk in the office that everyone is so happy to be here. And I remember growing up, going to school, I'm like, oh, God, this is the worst place in the world. Get me out of here. Um, <laughs> so I've never really had it um, had an experience working a diff- in a different corporate environment. But you can really tell at Nobo how much everyone truly values their work and how much everyone feels valued. And I, I love that. I mean, we have a ping pong table in the office. We have a, we just all go and do crazy activities. I think I was convinced, unfortunately, into running a half marathon on Sunday with no preparation. So with the rest of the team, that's going to be pretty rough. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, that might be rough. I'm glad we were doing the podcast today and not uh, next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That really is so so cool, and um, yeah, I can just imagine what that atmosphere is is like in there. Not to mention, like you said, just that feeling of the purpose that everyone is pursuing and knowing how much of an impact you're all making. How about we move on then to this question around key achievements and, and key challenges? Um, if you just mind, sort of touching on some that come to mind for that particular question. Sure. Well, the key achievements. Do I want to start with key achievements? Yeah, I'll start with key achievements. Uh, The key achievements, we've built out an amazing factory, an amazing team. We're a certified B Corp. I think we've accomplished a lot with a relatively small amount of money. I I would say the thing I'm most proud of is not is the team, of course, but also it's the technology. It's super impressive. I use it every day for myself. And I, I don't want to mess with my own hair. So me being the the biggest critic of my own product and loving it is, I, I think, uh, I think is really exciting to see. The biggest challenges that we've gone through are finding the right people in the Florida area to join the team, managing people. I think that's a new. Uh, it, it's been a learning curve for me, and um, and just. I mean, fundraising. Fundraising is pretty brutal. I think for every startup in this climate right now. Yeah, and. Um... Grueling. I mean, I'm assuming when you're in these raise periods, I mean, that's just a huge amount of your time and energy, which then makes managing operations and getting everything flowing quite difficult, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it's a necessarily evil. I love the process. I think I enjoy speaking with outsiders and telling them the cool stuff we're building. But also if it does, I can't say it doesn't feel like a distraction. Like I'm like, man, we could be building something, but I'm talking <laughs> to investors all day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then you know you you sort of finish one raise and you're off and you're doing and you're growing and then on the horizon is the is the looming necessary uh, next raise as well. So it's a, it's a constant thing, right? And then managing all your stakeholders. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. I think one thing I've learned is to keep everyone 
hyper updated. I like to send out these monthly, oh, they're usually monthly, like shareholder, stakeholder updates. They give received a few actually, but we just keep people in tune with our progress or where we're struggling. And it's really an invaluable resource how stakeholders have access to new talent. They have access to new investors. You can talk to new clients. So I've tapped into it a lot and I've gotten a lot out of it just being very communicative, over communicative with stakeholders interested and invested in the company. Yeah, better to, to over-report than, than under on that case. Let's talk a little bit there. We might sort of skip over to the next one, which is, you know, some key learnings that you've uh, experienced throughout your journey. Obviously, the key audience members of this particular podcast are people that are really interested in either you know, growing their own uh, startup or, or starting one. So, yeah, some key learnings. I'm sure you've got plenty to share. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one thing that would that I learned the hard way is um, I start with a solid team and then build out the technology. I think team has to come before technology. Like you can be inspired by a vision, but if you bring in the right people, they'll solve the problems. It almost is a trickle down approach. If you focus so much on the technology before building out the team, it hurts not only from a fundraising perspective, but it also doesn't set the right infrastructure. So uh, I've always been recently at least, um, focused on building out and attracting the right team members. I think indecision is worth, how can I phrase this? A bad decision, indecision is worse than a bad decision. So it's very easy for complacency to set in in a startup where you feel get comfortable after a fundraise or you're building a team and you focus so much on building like bringing on larger hires, um, flashier titles but nothing actually gets done. And uh, it's very hard to break that. So I think uh, setting up structure to make decisions rapidly and encourage decision-making to happen, whether good or bad, is absolutely vital. Those are two very, very important learnings from my at least recent experience that comes to me. Gotcha. So on that second one, so obviously recognizing the need to, to bring in new team members and leadership, but that can potentially what sort of wipe away a huge amount of time where key decisions aren't being made, which is maybe the reason you were taking the hires in the first place. Is, is that sort of what you're getting at? Yeah, I think that's, that, that's accurate. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing those. Yeah, I know that uh, I get a lot out of each time I get to ask that question to to founders and um, yeah, there's a bunch in the bag now, which I think are going to help people uh, avoid making some pretty major mistakes on their journey. So you mentioned a little bit about obviously the new product that's only a few months old. Yeah, maybe just give us a bit of a glimpse at the next sort of year to two years for Nobo. Um, obviously, you, you spoke about fundraising, closing out Series A. So yeah, just tell us a little bit about the future if you wouldn't mind. Of course. So ultimately, I think um, everyone at the company prescribes to this statement that plastic is antiquated or packaging is antiquated, plastic is unnecessary, and we believe we have control over the future of packaging. Today, that's in personal care. So today we want to conquer the shampoos, the conditioners for the mass brands and make their products, produce them, sell them, offer them to consumers so consumers have options. Tomorrow, I think there's so much disruption that can occur in plastic packaging, in healthcare, in agriculture, and food. Uh, and I believe this technology can lend itself to making better products all in all that don't have implications of single-use plastic. 
that follow suit. So we're, we're driven by this mission of focusing and targeting personal care. It's where we have IP in. It's where we focus in. It's where we're really good at. But I think the sky's the limit as well. Yeah, and of course, you've got um, startups like Notpla in the UK uh, taking out the Earthshot Prize for their edible um, film solution. Is is it so, you know, a potential on the horizon that you could go into that, you know, human consumable films as well as what you said for agriculture? Absolutely. And it's not only films. I think the idea of a dissolvable product can lend itself to a lot of applications. Imagine you engineer food to be smarter. Like, what if you can get a full bottle of ketchup in the size of a hydrofill? Um, the question really is, why can't you? <laughs> so what if you can get condiments? What if you can get plastic packaging? I forget the word where it's aseptic uh, for hospitals that everything comes in a single-use plastic. What if that can be in a water-soluble film? I think this vision of dissolving plastic, dissolving packaging can really cause these transformations in multiple industries. Yeah, that really is so exciting. Um, does it ever have, you mentioned obviously that whole the fishnet analogy and you described quite accurately how the technology works, but, you know, in the tropics, in equatorial regions, like high humidity zones, like are your, are your products working and operating quite fine in high humid environments? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, when a pot is subject to high humidities for long durations of time, the exact opposite thing occurs of what you think it would. It makes the product less and less soluble over time where it just loses the time frame of solubility. It takes longer to melt away, essentially. But it still works perfectly fine. We test all our products at 80% RH, so relative humidity, 40 degrees Celsius for eight plus weeks. So it's a pretty thorough test. And we have to make sure nothing nothing increases too, too much. And um, if it passes a certain threshold, a pod is pod works. So all in all, humidity does affect pods, but it doesn't make them melt away. It won't destroy them typically unless it's under direct water. And that will happen in a shower when it's meant to disappear. Perfect. Problem solved. Let's talk a little bit about, I suppose, where people who are listening in can support, find out more. Um, you mentioned, obviously, your your main customers being those sort of CPGs, but you do have Sunrise Session, where I'm guessing certain markets, people can actually go and buy home products. So yeah, just sort of talk a little bit about how people are listening in or whether they're in the hospitality space and a prospective customer for you. Just talk a little bit to that if you wouldn't mind. Of course. Yeah. For anyone uh, interested, we have this really cool website, nobu.com, N-O-H-B-O.com. Um, we're on LinkedIn a lot too. So that's where we post most of our updates. And I think we, we do have an Instagram page, Nobu Inc. We do have a Sunrise Session. We do have a brand, excuse me, Sunrise Session. Uh, it's a direct-to-consumer brand where people can try out at least our drops and slips right now. They can buy a package and shower with them, hopefully enjoy them, take them with them wherever they go. So. Great. And so, um, yeah, you encourage people if they're working in you know, hospitality, that they want to find out more and contact you, then um, head obviously to Nobo.com. Absolutely. Yeah. Head to Nobo.com. That's where all the, uh, that's where all the uh, contact info is. And we have a really cool team of um, commercial people that will help get products implemented in hotels. And it is a really, really cool website. So even if you just want to go and you know dive deeper into this story and, and learn more, then head to that website. It's a really cool one. All right, Ben. So look, we've had a great conversation. Uh, is there anything that you sort of wanted to share today that you haven't had a chance to to talk to yet? And if not, just some sort of closing words and where people can um, find out more and contact you. 
Yeah. No, Tim, this was wonderful. It was really nice to talk to you again, to see you. And um, I love what you guys are building. I encourage everyone to apply to Ocean Impact. It definitely helped us a lot. And it got me really well connected with incredible entrepreneurs around the world working to solve this single use plastic and ocean improvement, uh, this ocean improvement space. So thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to be here. And um, yeah, reach out if I can help with anything. Thanks so much, Ben Stern. Keep up the great work. We know you will and we can't wait to keep following the journey. Thank you so much. Guys, we hope you enjoy this episode. Please leave us a bit of feedback. It really helps us out. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. On Spotify, you can let us know what you loved about the episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to drop us a comment or hit the like button. It means a lot.